0: So that is absolutely the right thing to do. That is what we've refused to do pretty much every time um, <laughs> uh, uh, partly i don't know partly because we're foolish, partly because we like a challenge, um, but also it doesn't feel like the most effective way to test the market proposition so're mm, you're, you're, you're much less likely to succeed if you don't have you know Probably about 50% of your, whatever your target is pre-agreed up front. That's, that's even more true for equity investments. So for equity investment, if you don't have all your backers lined up, which we didn't, you'll, you'll probably fail.
1: Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring and supporting entrepreneurs to make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin Mentor, and founder of Startup U, the regional partner, a Virgin startup, providing startup funding, mentoring and support. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, with the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to haze.co.uk, quoting Startup You. Welcome to episode 046 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, and on today's show, I welcome the duo behind Thomas Clipper, who are disrupting the men's grooming scene, one crowdfunded project at a time. Matt Brown and Antonio Weiss have now crowdfunded their grooming products six times since they started nearly four years ago. From the launch of their initial classic old school razor to last year's Cologne launch, they have now sold their luxury male grooming products in over 44 countries as they look to improve our morning rituals. Antonio recently spoke at one of our live events and today sees us hit the road again with our live shows. Go to the Startup You page on Eventbrite for a list of upcoming events starting with Candy Kittens tonight in Brighton at Platform 9 where there are literally three or four tickets left and next week with Zeros, Gary Turner and the Richmond Group's James Benamore at this workspace in Bournemouth. So really looking forward to you hearing this interview with Antonio and Matt. Last week was our best listening figures to date so thank you so much for that new year's rush on trying to do good things like listening to inspiring and educational podcasts such as this Big shout, first of all, to a listener called Dulcimer Draws who left this review. Love it. Hugely inspired by all of the guests, really helping me to keep the faith and get ideas about how to move forward with my budding business. Thank you so much for that review. This is all what this show is about, helping you get ideas about how to move forward with your businesses. If you'd like to leave a review and I can give you a shout out on the show, please just go to the review and ratings on either iTunes or Spotify, depending on where you listen to the show. But without further ado, let's start up.
2: Well, I mean, Thomas Clifford was, uh, was a business that, yeah, as Tony says, actually, Tony was one of the very first Customers of Taurus Clifford. Uh, and, and after a couple months, uh, we became sort of interested in, in working together. But the business emerged from um, I suppose, an interest in uh double-edged shaving. So that's that's the sort of the the beginnings of the business. Double-edged shaving being uh the sort of traditional sort of how your granddad shaved, mm-hmm. single-blade uh shaving that has been replaced um, in, in you know, over the years with bells and whistles and plastic and vibration and aloe vera strips and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I wanted to sort of create something that was going back to the uh, basics of shaving and giving you a better shave. Um and as I say, Antonio sort of joined as a uh, as a customer of the business uh, early doors and was quite excited about what we were doing. Um, after uh, after a few months using the using the first products, um, and so together we decided we were going to uh, make a go of it and and launch on Kickstarter.
1: And um, what was the initial reaction of friends and family? Did they think? You were going up against, you know, um, big blue chip companies like Gillette, Wilkinson Sword, etc. Were you, were you already thinking we're going in the completely opposite direction, and those aren't our real competitors?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's there's two there's sort of two questions in there. The, the reaction of friends and family stuff is interesting, and then uh, so is the who's our competitors and 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 that sort of that sort of thing. So, Tony, maybe if I if I sort of tackle the tackle the friends and family thing and you, you want to shoot on the competitors. Um, Great. But in, in, terms of, in terms of the friends and family question, it's really interesting because at the beginning of, of our journey, at least, I think this is something we hear from other startups. Um, friends and family can be uh, really, really important in giving you sort of a leg up and, and helping you, helping to be a really kind of soft uh, launch for you, you know, helping you to get your get your feet. Um, as the business grows, of course, um, they start to be a different kind of um, a, a feedback. You start to understand better, you know, that if your friends and family say something's absolutely brilliant, that it outside that circle, it might be just about viable. <laughs> and if they say, well, you know, it's, it's OK, then it's it's probably the worst idea anyone's ever had. So, so you start taking, um, you know, it, as as the business develops, you start taking uh, that feedback uh, a little bit more realistically. I think.
1: Yeah, great answer.
0: And then in terms of the competitors, so you know we were never we never set out nor uh, had a desire to disrupt Gillette or anyone like that. And in fact, we've always been very conscious of not being a challenger brand. There's lots of mileage in doing that, and it's a very sensible marketing ploy for many people. Mm-hmm. But we wanted just to focus on. Uh, in, in initially, it was about rituals. So, what are those key elements of a of a, of a morning routine, which might be you know, washing, shaving, getting up, getting ready, getting, you know, having your first coffee, and taking away some of the manufactured um, sort of frictionlessness about that. So, the idea that shaving is something that you can do whilst you're thinking about a million and one things whilst you're having your shower. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we wanted to rail against that a little bit and say this is an important part of your day, it's an important part of who you are and how you present yourself to the world to so take your time over it, you use a beautiful product um, to really enjoy the moment. Uh, and as a result, you know, Gillette aren't particularly interested in doing that, we're not particularly interested in, 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 in what they do. Mm. Um, so from our perspective, it was very much a case of, uh, you know, focus on what we're trying to do, focus on something quite different um, and go from there and uh, so yeah thankfully nobody thought it was a, it was a totally ludicrous
1: idea in, in, initially <laughs> and, and where did the relationship uh, come with um the king of shaves founder will king so will
0: was our so we did our first kickstarter which was for the mark one um razors so um you know a double-edged razor which is hand-turned in, uh, in leicestershire uh on kickstarter back in november 2014 and i I think, unbeknownst to us, Will was the um, guy who pledged to tip us over our funding target. So he'd obviously been spying ah, away in nice. his um, in, in his empire, uh, <laughs> looking at all the different Kickstarter uh, targets around shaving. And he tipped us over the edge, dropped us a note. I think on Twitter, and uh, and you know the the the, the relationship uh, has gone from strength to strength ever since then.
1: Awesome. So do you still have a good
0: relationship? Um, regularly communicates. We do indeed. So he's he's um, yeah he's a, a sort of special non-exec advisor. We spend a lot of time with him. He's a great guy to um, to test ideas and bounce ideas off. And um, yeah, he's obviously got a lot of experience in there. And um, hopefully get something positive from spending time with us as well.
1: Yeah, very good. And uh, given that you've is it four times that you've you've crowdfunded. It depends it's what you count with crowdfunding. Yeah, yeah. It depends what you. T- I, th- I think. I <sighs> think five times will be the way
0: we've we've said it. Say so that's been. Three successful Kickstarters, you know, the Kickstarter success rate is about a third. So having three on the trot is is pretty good going. We then did an equity raise via Cedars, which was the fourth crowd raise about just over a year ago. And then obviously uh, we thought, well, why don't we just build our own crowdfunding platform uh, and did that with first edition and successfully sort of raised on that for um, our uh, unite cologne collection back in july last year on first edition so that's five now Wow! and actually
2: we, we also uh, launched the razor stand uh, the new razor stand on first edition yeah. so we're up to we're, up, yeah, to we're up, six. up to six we're up to seven yeah. Um, it, it, interesting uh, yeah tony you mentioned sort of obviously we launched our own crowdfunding platform sort of not obvious Um, it was a lot of work Uh, the reason the reason that we thought it was the right thing to do even though it perhaps wasn't the easiest thing to do is that we owe a great deal to kickstarter we've got a lot of respect for kickstarter you know they're a b corporation so we've got a lot of um faith in their sort of sustainable creds um and also the fact that they're getting businesses off the ground is is really great Um, but our the products that we make are quite different from the the products that usually go on Kickstarter these days. You know five or six years ago, artisanal products on Kickstarter were the norm. Now they're the exception, and it's and it's much more sort of mass market, big uh, tech forward. Project, uh, projects and, and products. Um, on top of that, we're a company that sort of uh, prides ourselves on customer service. So we, you know, the idea that on a Kickstarter that there's a sort of expectation that perhaps the the product might not arrive, even though in, in the vast majority of cases it does arrive and it's and it's great. Um, the incentives are a little bit weird on Kickstarter. Uh, you know, there's there's a big incentive to promise a lot. Mm. Um, Otherwise, you won't get funded and then the delivery becomes secondary, whereas in any, any other kind of business, um, it's all about having a really, really great product and, and being lucky enough that somebody sees it. And we're, we're sort of now pretty firmly in that second camp of, of uh, you know, making Products that we think we're really proud of, um, not sort of overpromising and underdelivering. So that's why First Edition came in. We wanted to make a uh, way of still engaging that kind of community aspect of crowdfunding, yeah. but with um, an element of sort of security. So, for example, First Edition we offer refunds. If people don't like what they get in the post, which doesn't happen on Kickstarter, yeah. uh, we only partner with. Well, at the moment, it's been a own brand only on first edition, although we're in conversation with a couple of brands who are thoroughly vetting to make sure that they're um, you know, able to do what they say they're going to do. So it's, it's sort of really basic stuff. You know, when you go into a shop and buy something, you expect it does what it says on the tin. And, and um, we don't see why crowdfunding should be any different. So that's what first edition is, is for.
1: And at what point um, once you started the business or came up with the idea, did you decide on the marketing strategy by deciding to go to the crowd? I think it was was quite early on. It's a very... um Certainly, we've learned a lot
0: more about it, as Matt says, as we've progressed. But Kickstarter was in a different place, you know, three and a bit years ago. And as Matt says, there was there was more of a market and a bit more of a synergy with I think who we felt we were then. Um, but it, you know, all the benefits of you de-risk a lot of the production process, you get some marketing and um, you get engagement and you get known. Um, And really you get to test the premise with customers. They're all there, they're all true, and they're all incredibly valuable. So we, I mean, I'm sure we had a different route which we could have gone down, but I I think we were fairly clear quite uh, soon that crowdfunding of some angle, whether that would have been either Kickstarter or Indiegogo would have probably been the material question then, Mm -hmm. and doing it on a pledge basis rather than on equity, that was always going to be a a likely scenario. Yeah I mean
2: uh, I, I remember a, a conversation um,
0: Tony you may, you may or may not
2: remember this one with Stefan, um, my friend out here uh, out here in Italy um, where I I, you know, I was pitching the, the idea of Thomas Clipper really hard saying is this is going to be really great and, and you know we want to get you involved in it as well as a, as a developer and, and you know this is a really exciting new project and, and he kept on asking me slightly you know, Irritating, um, absolutely correct questions around the size of the market and, and whether or not you know people actually knew what double edged shaving was and whether you know these questions that that you're sort of um, you're sort of able to to dance around a little bit uh, if you're articulate and a, and a bit <laughs> and a bit confident but but at the end of the day we didn't know and he and he sort of turned around at some point in that conversation and said well you know prove it go on Kickstarter do a Kickstarter prove it. Yeah. And I sort of I sort of sat back in my chair and thought, well, yeah, I think that's the right that's the right decision. And 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 Tony sort of agreed, and so that's that's why we sort of progressed in that di- direction. It was always sort of in the back of our minds, I think, the idea of crowdfunding being be being a potential route to market. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, there's there's kind of two ways you can go about it. You can talk a lot and and not do very much, or you can. Uh, you can sort of make something and Kickstarter is a very good way of putting a deadline against that and making it very
1: public that, you know, we're doing this thing. Mm. I was just a uh, short while ago chatting to um, founders of a company called Beeline who make uh, navigation for, for bicycles. And they were saying, um, I think the second time that they, they, they crowdfunded that the lessons they learned was to have, a load of investors already in the pipeline who are ready to drop in. Would that, would that be your experience as well? So that is absolutely the right thing to do. That is what we've
0: refused to do pretty much every time. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 partly, I don't know, partly because we're foolish, partly because we like a challenge, um, but also it doesn't feel like the most effective way to test the market proposition. So mm, you're, you're, you're much less likely to succeed if you don't have, you know, Probably about fifty percent of your whatever your target is pre-agreed up front. That's that's even more true for equity investments. So for equity investment, if you don't have all your backers lined up, which we didn't, you'll you'll probably fail. Um, with Kickstarter, I think the stats when we were doing is if you get about twenty percent in your first probably twelve hours, then you'll be you'll be okay. Um, and we were lucky enough that we got a. We got that, and you know, we, we were fine from the first one, although it was a little bit hairy at times. So it's certainly the right thing to do. It's absolutely sensible. It takes a lot more time. So one of the things that was very attractive for us, is, as Matt says, was the idea of being able to quickly test the premise. Now, if you're spending three to six months doing pre-Kickstarter marketing, and effectively you already have a pre-agreed customer base, mm. then really Kickstarter is, or crowdfunding, I don't know, to, to me it feels like, it doesn't feel very lean, it just feels, like another part of it, like launching of your, your process, yeah, exactly yeah, um, so this
2: is this is what's really changed. I mean back back uh, it's it's sort of a in a numbers game, which is that back three or four years ago there weren't very many products on Kickstarter, so the organic reach of of products was was pretty good, um, and you know people didn't treat it like a big marketing channel. They treated it kind of like a bootstrappy way of getting a product to market. But as, as Tony quite rightly says, now you need a whole sort of campaign strategy behind your Kickstarter launch.
1: Mm.
2: It becomes something that uh, you kind of already have to be an established business to to do, which rather takes takes all the uh,
1: takes all the fun out of it. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with, agree with what Tony was saying. I was going to say, do you, do you kind of reiterate what I was going to say? But um, do you feel that it's changed so much now that it's it, it's a huge challenge for startups to do it's 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 a it's a whole campaign, it's a whole business in itself, just coming up with a campaign for a for a crowdfunding campaign.
2: Well, what, what's really yeah no, it absolutely is. Um, mm. What hasn't changed is that the majority of your first Kickstarter was always going to be from your. Friends and family, anyway. Yeah. So it remains a kind of. In fact, if anything, it's a more recognised structure. It's become a verb. You know, to kickstarter, to kickstart something means something now, mm. um, uh, which it wasn't when we launched. We had to explain what on earth this thing was to to our to our initial investors. So I think for that very very first sort of, if you're lucky enough to have um, a group of people behind you that can that can. You know, back you. Uh, it's it's a very established platform. Um, w- what it isn't for a, for somebody's just just starting out, uh, unless you're very pro, it's very unlikely you're going to be getting into the really big numbers, the headline numbers that make Kickstarter exciting. Mm. Um, uh, and and if you're if you're not um, yeah, if you're not putting putting a serious investment into your marketing beforehand, those numbers are,
1: are might as well be a different platform. It's a different thing. Mm. um and before you launched there how, how much of a community did you have beforehand compared to how it was after the the first kickstarter campaign so i want to i want to make sure these numbers are right but i'm going to say them anyways um, so i'm fairly sure we
0: got uh was it 300 over 300 backers for the first one for the second one, for the first one, it was about 150. It was 150. So, I mean, that 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 gives a sense of the of the difference before. So, prior to that,
2: mm. I'm going to check was, the numbers
0: while uh, I think <laughs> I think our friends and family maybe contributed to about 20 or 30. Not very generous friends or family, really, are they? <laughs> uh, but maybe maybe 20 or 30 units, um, and then everything else was was a new community, which was you know great. And w- one of the things that has been instrumental for us as we've grown as a brand is this concept of community-driven luxury. So that means that, you know, we, we look after our customers, but more than that, we ask them what to do, what to make, what direction to take. There's always presenting, you know, a series of Carefully thought through options, but they're very much part of that growing process. And as you can imagine, Kickstarter worked very well for us to go from 150 to 300, and then you know several hundred more. Um, Shall we just um, briefly pause so I can say the real numbers because oh, they're, not
2: God, quite, they're not quite what I thought they were. Uh, <laughs> go for it. So the so the first Kickstarter um, we got 240. Uh, backers uh, and the second we hit uh, 300 just under 300 backers um, but for a significantly more you know, expensive uh,
1: product mm. so anyway sorry yes. <laughs> I like it um, and, and how big a community do you have now like you said when, when you, um, you go back you've obviously got ideas of what you'd like to produce hence the, hence the colognes but how big a community do you have now well, there's about there's about fifteen hundred
0: customers across, uh, well, forty four countries now around wow. the world who who are enjoying Thomas Clipper products, um, and we try and engage them as much as possible. Uh, obviously, the you know cost, the cost-effective way and hopefully user-friendly way for them to do that is a lot through. Um, Sort of online virtual communities be that private uh, social media groups or emails um, or events that we have in public uh well in private you know real physical events irl or whatever um but uh they're and they're key and some people want to be really really engaged and we hear from loads and you know we got a lovely tweet on over the weekend from a very happy new customer in moldova uh, others you know, they want to hear from us every now and again, but that's that's up to them. Yeah. Um, but really, they're critical for us for the growth because, you know, without them, we're just guys making stuff that we like. But that's, that's not <laughs> quite the same thing. And and Antonio is sort
2: of definitely focusing on on a really, really important and easily measurable number, which is our online um, community. But in the past sort of three or four months, our retail presence has grown Um Really, really rapidly, so, from one shop to close to fifteen now in the past four months and and we're we're pushing that number up uh, almost uh, daily at the moment, are you? which is really exciting. but what that means is that you have much less uh, awareness and much less uh, control over your your customer base. So right now we're still in this position where we started out as a almost entirely online um, brand through Kickstarter, through online sales, um, with a presence in Fortnum Mason um, as sort of a flagship, as a, as a flagship um, uh, partner in London. Uh, but over, as I say, over the past three months, we've expanded that retail presence out a great deal. And that's sort of down to the nature of our new product line, which is um, this bespoke uh, blending cologne called Unite. It's awfully hard to test a cologne online. We try and make it as easy as we can by, by making samples available and, and, mm. and things like that. But
1: retail has become a much bigger part of the mix um, as a result of that new product development. And is that one of the key strategies for, for 2018 for you to develop that retail side of the business?
0: It is. It is. And to expand and grow the presence and awareness through that. And it's um I, I, uh, I think we'd have been surprised to know that about three years ago, that that would be a sensible direction. But one of the um, you know, amazing realizations is that everyone says to you, oh, you know, you've got to be doing Instagram and you've got to be doing Facebook marketing and you've got to be doing, you know, cost for acquisition and getting that down. And it unsurprisingly, Facebook are out to make money. Hmm. Uh, and so it costs a lot of money. Um, and as a result, I feel, I think we' we're now recognizing that some of the more traditional and and therefore proven channels, such as just being physically present and having you know, a great presence and being there and being able to talk to customers is still extremely valuable. Um, and it you know, it gets you known and it gets you seen and it gets you enjoyed by a lot more people. Um, so we've gone down much more that route than than online marketing than we probably would have expected a few years ago, and it seems to be sort of reaping rewards, which is which is great. And I think it's I think it's like sort of a
2: rebalancing rather than a complete sort of focus mm-hmm. on on retail. I mean, there are people that will see us in uh, Beasts or Brambles in in London and then look at our Facebook and then mm-hmm. decide to buy on our website. And there are people that will see us on the on the, you know a uh, tweet from us um, while they're walking past Beast and and pop in and buy in store. You know the, these these ecosystems don't live as silos, even though it's much easier to measure them like that. Mm-hmm. In reality that's not the way that people that's not the way that people operate and so um, i think i think yeah that this year is going to be a, a real focus on retail but that's not at an expense of the other elements it's just those other elements are much more developed already so we we just get sort of balancing up and, and you must
1: have a pretty clear idea of the thomas clipper avatar essentially or or, or is, do you have do you find you have a couple of different Avatars. Now that you've you've you know grown it on so many different platforms, and now you've gone into retail. Oh, right. This is me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, I want to hear what you want to say. Well, Alex, I, I, I thought I thought Tony looked awfully confident there. Could you, is, could I you feel that. Bit, could you go into a bit more, <laughs> more detail about what you mean by an avatar in this context?
1: Yeah. So the the demographic of the type and of the customer. The customer yeah. Profile. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, it's, it is really interesting. So our, our business is still still very young and it's somewhat skewed um, by the fact that it's going to be influenced by our immediate community. So at this stage, looking at uh, existing purchase habits, uh, looking at existing Facebook audiences, for example, and, and using them to profile future customers would be um, perhaps not, not the best way of, of taking advantage of the best, best audience. One of the things that we um, did last year, as part of our um, as part of our market research, was to do a, um, A-B test on two audiences for, for Facebook adverts. The um, the measure was click through, how many people clicked through and and spent time looking at the products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two groups were one completely randomly selected population, and one uh, lookalike audience based on our based on our existing Facebook fans. The completely random population, the click-through rate was better. They spent longer looking at the products. Uh, so so what that really made us do is take a big, big step back and say, okay, at the moment, what we have to offer the world is not necessarily aligned with who we're showing it to. We've taken a step back and started thinking about rather than who our existing customer is and what the profile of a Thomas Clipper customer is now, we started uh, defining, we have defined a a Thomas Clipper target customer, the the person who we think our customers look up to and who who, uh, represents the future of the brand.
0: That's that, that's that's completely true. Although, although fundamentally, I think we know who we want to be targeting. So we make products for people who care about doing the right thing. So that means, you know, radical, well, transparent supply chains. It means, you know, not. Uh, it means paying the right amount to your workers, it means um, being able to pinpoint where something comes from and knowing that it's made in the most sustainable manner that's appropriate. Um, so you know, 10% of our profits from uh, from the Unite cologne sales last year will be going to Médecins Sans Frontiere, and we've committed to 5% of the profits for the total business this year to go to them. So for some people that will be attractive and it will mean that it's a product that means more than just a nice scent. Um, and that's who we're, that's who we're here for. Uh, if other people who are less interested also, you know, like Thomas Clipper stuff, then that's great. But you know, we, we consciously have uh, you know, ideals and values in mind about the type of things people care about who like Thomas Clipper. And that's, we, we won't change that. And it makes it quite easy for us to know, you know, if that's Uh, if we can make a product in line with those values, then it's a Tom's Clipper product.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, great answer. Um, And no, no, you guys are both uh, incredibly busy given what you're doing. So I just thought to finish off, would you want to just talk us through the different products that you have since launch I'm very interested to hear about the the colognes, which I've just been reading about online and uh, just to finish off the the easiest way somebody could uh, get hold of any of these products from you? Well, I mean, we'll we'll start we'll start with the end and then we'll repeat it at the end. How's that? That sounds
2: great. <laughs> um, so, so we we are we're available at thomasclipper.com um, and we ship all, all around the world, all all of our products now. Um, and we're also available in in some sort of prestigious shops in London, like Fortnum and Mason, um, Beast, Brambles. Uh, we're also in La Garçonnière in Paris, um, and I believe that they're just about to open down in Bordeaux and Marseille, but but certainly in Paris at the moment. Um, so, the product line is is sort of split between, as as Antonio is saying, it's it's products uh, that are focus on craftsmanship and sourcing and and really sort of a no compromise attitude to production. Uh, we've got our razor sets, which are all solid metal, so they've got a real heft to them and they're built to last. Um, we've got our shaving bowls and and brushes, which are made out of uh, three hundred year old uh, British chestnut and you can actually trace the uh where the tree came down through gps coordinates which we engrave on each of the bowls um and as you as you rightly say uh alex we've, we've recently launched the unite cologne collection um which you can also find on ThomasClipper.com. And and that cologne collection is interesting um and we've been sort of mentioned in monocle and, and gq and, and elsewhere because it's the first um boutique blending cologne uh, for men so the, the idea there is that you can wear each of the three fragrances city coast and country you can wear each of them uh, on their own and they smell fantastic and they're sort of subtle sophisticated scents um or you can spray one spray of city and then add a little layer of coast on top mm-hmm. or spray one spray of country and add a little two sprays of city on top you can completely customize your cologne for the time of day mm-hmm. for, for whatever you're you doing during the day or just for your own personal taste it means every man can have his own um Cologne, and so that's why we've been sort of getting a little bit of um, a little bit of interest, and we think that's something that really adds add something to men to men's uh, mornings.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and no, I couldn't agree more. It all looks great from from what I've seen, um, and sounds like you've got some great plans for the future. So um, thank you so much for taking the time out, um, and I wish you all the best. Chaps, thanks very thank much. You. Our pleasure. So some great advice from both Matt and Antonio there. Um, first one for me, which intrigued me to start with before I, uh, I even interviewed the guys just, just doing my research was uh, the power of the crowd. You know, six times um, they've now crowdfunded, include, uh, including setting up their own crowdfunding platform with First Edition. Um, you know, I find it amazing, really, um, you know, the customers they've got. So every time they're thinking of launching a product, they're going back to their audience and asking them their opinion. What do you want? You've already bought all of our products. What else can we give you in the male grooming range? Um, and the power of those people then is, as ambassadors for your business going forward, they're going to be your biggest cheerleaders, um, going to shout about your products. And, you know, they're saying if, you ha- if you've if you had a great experience, you'll tell you know a couple of people if you have a bad experience you'll tell nine ten people whatever it is so um you know when you do have a great experience you buy an amazing product like these um and if you look it up online they're um incredibly incredible craftsmanship um i'm certainly going to look at um getting their products myself i love um my morning ritual of shaving taking time doing it um, enjoy it um obviously a very male thing i'm sure <laughs> um but, uh, you know, instead of going down the plastic fantastic route with all the strips, wheels, and all the rest of it, um, we don't need it. Uh, moving on on my rant, um, you know, not necessarily going head-to-head with your competition because, you know, think of these guys' business model and the giants that they're up against, the uh, the Gillettes, the Wilkinson Swords. You know, do you need to bash heads with them? Not necessarily. You know, you go a niche within a niche uh, sub niche if you will um and, and developing something completely different that Gillette and Wilkinson Sword have no desire to compete against either because they're already doing very well at selling um their random bits of plastic and um Another thing I'd like to touch on finally, third thing, um, is something, you know, bespoke to crowdfunding, but uh, so many businesses that are using crowdfunding now and so many questions that I get asked surrounding crowdfunding. We've even done a couple of events specifically on crowdfunding, both networking events and uh, workshops in both Brighton and Bournemouth um, that, you know, having your investors lined up for the campaign and, you know, knowing full well um, how much time and effort goes into actually launching a crowdfunding campaign. Um, you only need to listen to a couple of the podcasts I've done with people like Thomas Clipper uh, to, to know how much that involves. So being fully aware um, of that, in you know, a couple of people I can point in the direction of would be to look up John Auckland from Tribe First and also Hattie Fawcett, two people to look up if you're looking for advice r- regards crowdfunding. Um, Uh, Hattie's based in uh, the southwest, Dorset, and John's based nearer uh, London. So depending on where you are and you want advice on that subject, then those are two great resources to to dive into. Um, And it just remains for me one last time to say... If we haven't seen you at one of our live events, I'd love nothing more than to meet you, say hi, uh, find out about your business, find out about what challenges you had, what kind of guests you like on the show, etc. So just go to the U. that's the letter U. Page on Eventbrite. We've got a profile page on Eventbrite and that lists all of our events. So we're live in Brighton tonight with Candy Kittens founders Jamie Lang and Ed Williams, if there are any tickets left. And then a week later, the following Wednesday, the 24th, in Bournemouth with um, Zero's Gary Turner and the Richmond Group's James Benamore. Two men who've both um, done incredibly well. And then we've also got our first workshop, um, The Power of Storytelling. So How to Tell Your Story Digitally, uh, a workshop we've got in Bournemouth coming up on February the 7th, I believe. So love to see you at one of those three events. In the meantime, have an awesome week. Have a great week in business and personally. And I'll see you on Saturday for our Saturday Startup. If you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. That's Startup U with the letter U. From there, you'll be able to see what live events we've got coming up and book a ticket from as little as £5, which includes a complimentary drink and the opportunity to network with like-minded entrepreneurs. Hope to see you soon. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring, or support, go to startupu.co.uk. And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe, and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by Rocket Spark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great looking website. Each month, Rocket Spark offers one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com screw it, just do it to enter.